Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, good morning. And as we uh, just came into the show, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. One of the the, the elements of of staying healthy is that we mentally have to look after ourselves emotionally, spiritually. It's not just about the food that we eat, even though it's a very big component. And we're glad to be back with you today. And we are going to be looking at that. Today, we are going to be speaking with Mark Kahn. Mark Kahn is a celebrated clinical psychologist that has been in practice for many decades. I'm not going to make you too old, Mark. And we actually have had him on the show before with a tremendous um, amount of feedback. And today we are going to be discussing why intimate relationships are so difficult. Good morning, Fagi. Good morning, Adel. Welcome back. It's so good to be here. <clears throat> yes. For the two of us, we were we were uh, traipsing around the world and uh, came back with all sorts of uh, I don't know, the eels of traveling, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> last week, I actually didn't have a voice. I'm very glad that God has given me the ability to communicate. And yes, um, really, really glad to be back in the space. So no, with no further ado, good morning, Mark. Morning, Adel and Faggy. Lovely to good be Good morning, here. Mark. Thank you for joining us once again. Pleasure. Right. You know, uh, one of our greatest uh, sufferings, as I'm quoting from your website, is that we don't feel complete as we are. And one of the places that make us the most incomplete, the most inadequate, um, that drives us probably crazy quite a a lot of the time is when we can't get our intimate relationships right. And it's, I I think for me, um, you know, always just trying to understand them, it is fundamental for human beings to have intimate relationships. So I wanna unpack that today and I'm going to give you the floor mark for an introduction as to maybe what is an intimate, what defines an intimate relationship? Well, that's a lovely question. What defines an intimate relationship? I think what one needs to do is look at what is the opposite of an intimate relationship. And intimacy is emotional closeness. And the opposite of that is emotional distance. So we struggle with emotional closeness. And, you know, you quoted my website when I say uh, we don't feel complete. So I think one of the major problems, and this is a very complex issue. I mean, we could talk for a week about this, but one of the major problems is that we go into an intimate relationship, we fall in love, and that falling in love is an intoxicated illusion. It's not a real feeling. It's about as real as saying, well, I I had six beers or four whiskeys, and I felt fantastic. So that's who I am. When you're intoxicated with alcohol or drugs, it's got nothing to do with who you really are. And so falling in love has nothing to do with who we really are. It's an intoxicated state where all the positives are exaggerated and we have no negatives. And I really love John Demartini's phrase, there's a universal law that says nothing can manifest without two sides. So you cannot get a positive without a negative. When we fall in love, it's all positive. Yay, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're sexy, you're intelligent, you're powerful, you're rich, you're whatever. You're spiritual. 
And then the negatives start to seep through. And I often, often like to say that we, we think we're getting happiness when we meet somebody, but actually when we meet somebody, we give them a remote control. Each party gives the other one a remote control. And that remote control has a whole lot of buttons that will push every single wound that we have collected up to that point in our lives. And so after three weeks or three months, six months, however long it takes, that partner of ours whom we say we love so much will say or do something that raises the monsters from the deep of our psyche. And we go into pain and anguish and we're devastated by it. And, you know, I was so smiling at the Don't Worry, Be Happy song. <laughs> because, you know, it's a lovely song. It's really cute. And, it, you know, I picture this guy in Jamaica on the beach and everybody's <laughs> chilled out and relaxed. The reality is that, I don't know if you've heard of the concept of corrective listening. No, nope. I think it's, a, it's so, a good idea that we hear that. So Jeff Brown coined the phrase. and. Corrective listening is endemic in our culture. You know, we think COVID's bad. Well, at an, at an emotional level, corrective listening is the most destructive thing personally, emotionally, and for intimate relationships that you can imagine. And I've created a whole model in the way I work with couples around this, which I can explain shortly. So what is corrective listening? I say to all my clients, at least in the first or second session these days, your nine-year-old kid, assuming you have one or had one, is going to the dentist for the first time. And they say, mommy, I'm so scared. I'm, I'm going to the dentist. What's your response? Don't no, worry. Be happy. <laughs> don't worry. It'll, it won't hurt. It'll be fine. It'll be over quickly. Be a big boy. Be, you must toughen up. Life is full of this stuff. That's called corrective listening. In essence, corrective listening isn't giving space to the pain, the negativity. Don't worry, be happy is shutting down all of the pain. So what does a child of nine learn? No one will care for me when I'm in pain. I mustn't feel my pain. It's bad. I am now isolated and have to manage this pain on my own and put on a brave, smiling face to the world. So we become armored against our suffering and we can't release it anybody who's had a, a kid that's one or two years old they fall down they cry they hug mommy the crying is released and they feel better i have a colleague uh, sally baker she's an amazing therapist and she works with pre-birth and birthing and post-birth psychology she says mothers when the little infant is crying and the infant is on the mother's shoulder and she's rubbing the, the infant's back saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's corrective listening at six months. No, it's not okay. So then the mother says, well, what do I say? Rub your child's back, say, it's so painful, I'm loving you. It's so painful. Yes, I know it's painful, I'm loving you. So we get into an intimate relationship. We have all this armored blocked pain. When the love honeymoon phase is over and our partner says, I'm not going to visit your mother. Why not? Your mother, your parents drive me crazy. And there's aggression in the voice. 
And now what the couple does is they start to have a fight. No, please, you need to come. I can't go there on my own. And I don't want them to think that you don't like them. And they start to get angry. And this is the, this is the work I do with couples now. It's the primary place I go to. I say, okay, you're both angry with each other. And you've had this fight about parents-in-law and heaven knows what else hundreds of times. Can we go underneath the anger and the conflict to the vulnerability? So the vulnerability is sad, anxious, hurt, isolated, shame, guilt. So what I get couples to do is to start to share the vulnerable feelings. And, and it's so fascinating because they don't go there very easily. They'll say, yeah. I feel anxious that you don't want to visit my parents because, and then they go straight up into the neocortex where all the thinking is. And Rene Descartes, my worst person in history, psychologically, you know, the French philosopher, I think he was 18th century. And he said, I think therefore I am. I think. So he's made thinking our God. But we don't get together in an intimate relationship because you think this person is special. Yes, you might have thoughts that they are. It's about love and your heart and emotional connection. Now, the challenge is, can you be vulnerable with each other? You know, when, when, when you don't come and visit my parents, I feel, I feel abandoned. And then can he say, I feel sad when you say you feel abandoned but I have such anxiety about visiting your parents. So we make space. I help them to make space for this pain. Then can they love each other in the pain and then move to solving the problem? So what do I mean? Yes. You've got a we're speaking to we are speaking to Mark Khan. We're talking about intimate relationships and the difficulties, the challenges. Um, and what we can do about it, if you'd like to join the conversation, it's 34519. Or our telegram number is 061-895-1019. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're speaking to Mark Card. We're talking about intimate relationships. We were learning the concept of corrective uh, listening. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you, Mark, is that, you know, in, in, I understand the theory, right, that we need to, instead of trying to correct or go away or push under the carpet, the person's un, unhappy feelings, right, we need to be vulnerable. But vulnerability is generally always imprisoned, like it, there are so many doors and, 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 and barriers for a person to become vulnerable. What makes us not want to be vulnerable or to talk about it? Is it just because of the overwhelming amount of pain? Well, I think it's because of the way we're brought up. So little kids from two, three, four years old are trained not to be vulnerable. They're trained to be tough and get on with it. And the space isn't created by parents for the children to feel their pain. And obviously, parenting is hard work. And parents have to deal with their jobs. 
plus each other's emotions, which they're not good at because they don't make space for pain in their relationship. Now they can't create space for pain of the kids. So the, the whole culture is about blocking and repressing pain. And what's missing is empathy for pain. And the model that I've, I've created in that I work with with couples and with some individuals, but it's better to work with couples together with us. I call it fix it or feel it. So if we go back to my example of the, the, the parents-in-law, the husband doesn't want to go and visit her, his mother-in-law and father-in-law. They then start to fight about the problem. No, but you must come with me. I can't go on my own. And no, but I, you know, I don't like them and they don't really like me. So they're fighting and trying to solve the problem before they are connected emotionally, before there's intimacy. So I, I, I might have mentioned in our last show, Interactional Pattern Analysis, IPA, created by a South African guy, Shoal Forster. It's an amazing model for understanding patterns of interaction, as opposed to all of this, much of the psychology, the Freudian, the Jungian, et cetera, which is interested in intrapsychic, what's happening inside of me. So the, the wife will say to the husband, yeah, but, but you hate my mother because of your problems with your mother. Now that's an interactional, in, intrapsychic interpretation. And then they'll fight about that. So IPA has 17 variables that analyze patterns of interaction and look at our effectiveness in terms of how we interact. So my observation is the couple's fighting about the parents-in-law. There's no empathy and no love. If there's no love, then there's no loving and effective expression of needs. So his need is to stay at home. Her need is to take him with her. But it's said critically. Let me give you an example of this. I, I use this with all my clients, my parents who have passed on. They were well-meaning and they loved me, but they were pretty clueless in how to love me. And that's the same in marriage. I love you, says the, the, the wife. I love you, says the husband. But they don't know what love in action looks like. So let's go to my father. We used to get fish on a Tuesday night for decades, for well, at least two decades. Every Tuesday, the fish would arrive and he'd say, why the bloody hell do we have to have fish in a batter? <laughs> and, you know, I asked my, I say to my clients, What's an, what would be a more loving and skillful way of his expressing his need? And, you know, most of them can't even think of an, a loving way to do that. And, of course, a loving way to do that would be, you know, sweetie, I love having fish on a Tuesdays. I'm just wondering if we could have some variety and maybe we could try a new recipe. And then real deep empathy would be to say, and I know maybe, you know, trying a new, new recipe, you'll be a bit anxious that it won't work. And if it doesn't work, we'll have boiled eggs. Empathy is anticipating how she would feel as a result of his recommendation or request. In our culture, we express needs with, critical, with criticism and moralizing. You must, how can you ignore my parents? You must come and visit my, yeah, but, but what about my needs? I, I can't stand the way they're critical with me. So both parties are attacking each other. So there's no space for intimacy. 
It's an intimate relationship that becomes, with each fight, more and more emotionally distant and disconnected. So the work is to connect emotionally. I feel isolated uh, and I, I, anxious about visiting your parents. I don't want to go on my own. They have empathy for each other's pain. They love each other. And then they start to problem solve. Okay. Question is though, when a person yeah. does actually empathize with the other person, it, 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 it's, it's one thing to hear what they're saying, but it's another thing to really feel it and understand it. Yes. And there's a whole bunch of people out there and men are not as good as women. They can't do empathy at all. And I do what I call empathy training. I actually teach people how to do empathy. Some people, so what's important about empathy is this. There's two main elements. I feel, I can feel your pain, but can I express it in a loving and soft and empathic way? I've had clients, one particular woman I'm thinking of, she, she was in a, uh, running a big business. She had tremendous empathy for all of her subordinates, but what would she do when they came into her office with, oh, I'm so upset, we're losing this client. Don't worry, let's fix it. Don't worry, be happy, I'll sort it for you, which is corrective listening. And this inability to say, okay, tell me about your stress. What, what, what's really, what's the hardest part with this client? How does it make you feel? Spend five minutes in business, okay? You maybe don't go so deep, but you spend five minutes talking about how they feel and then problem solve. People don't know how to demonstrate empathy because we live in a corrective listening culture and we don't have models for it. And then to add to that question is when someone doesn't, when someone isn't able to show that vulnerability, they then turn things into blame. Exactly. And that's what I was saying. We, we, we don't know how to connect and be soft and loving and not have the problem solved. So we blame the other party for not solving the problem. You always do this. You always say the other. You don't, why, why the hell do we get fish in a batter? There's no appreciation for, you know, you do all the cooking. My father, of course, was the old style patriarchal guy. He'd, he never cooked anything. He didn't show, so patriarchs have zero empathy. Patriarchs are my biggest problem in this world. They, they have caused 80% of all the problems in the world because they don't have empathy. But they just don't know how. They don't know how. So I do empathy training. Of course, many, these, many patriarchs don't want to learn how to do empathy because it makes them feel uncomfortable. They're only comfortable when they're in control. When you're vulnerable and, and making space for empathy on the part of both members of that couple, it, you're not in control. The feelings are uncomfortable, painful. They're not resolved. So we jump to control the patriarch or the matriarch, the more patriarchs, just want to shut everything down, get control, and have their, their partner subordinate to them. Which is, by the way, the number one variable in IPA is the definition of the relationship. 
is it a parallel back and forth? One takes the leadership, the other follows and vice versa. With patriarchs, it's, listen, you do what I say. I'm the leader in this family. And they quote scriptures and so on to say the man must be the leader and the boss. Well, that'll work if you've got a very submissive, sweet little wife who's happy with that. I personally don't think many people are really happy with that. But, you know, varies. So <clears throat> just in, in, in terms of that, just in trying to, to unpack that further, you know, I think, I think we can recognize that the majority of humanity and the majority of us, we're putting everybody in, 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 this, in, this, in this bowl, is that we haven't been taught vulnerability. We haven't been taught to... Yes. to I, I think that the caveat, though, is, is that when you're trying to form an inter, in, um, intimate relationship, whether it is with a spouse, whether it is with a, a child, with, with your mother, et cetera, et cetera, what happens when you come to a point where you, you recognize that there is the need to validate your vulnerability, that you don't really want to fix it. You just, I just want, I just want to be heard. And that person is blocking you all the time. Like, I, I, I think that, that, that uh, from my experience, that, that's probably the, the, the hardest thing is that you only can work this model if two people both want to be yes. vulnerable. You, you, I'm, I'm so, you, you, brilliant. Thank you for raising this. Let's say I see the woman in, I, I had a woman in therapy. She's got an 18-month-old kid. The kid's crying a lot. She's looking after the kid. The husband's disconnected emotionally and disconnected from her and the kid. So I made a recommendation to her. And this is a recommendation that's only going to work 2% of the time. And it worked with this client. She had the right husband. <laughs> I said, can you go home to your husband and say, you know, sweetie, I'm, I feel sad. I love you, but we've become emotionally disconnected. And I want to be closer to you. Do you feel the same way? She's sharing her feelings. She's vulnerable and she's expressing a need for more closeness. And you know what he said? He said, yeah, I'm sad too. I do love you and I want to be closer and, and I don't know how. And they both cried together. Now, I said that's 2% of the time. Mm. Mostly the husband would say, Oh, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Of course we love each other. I mean, Jesus, you know, what, what, do you, what do you want from me here? And he shuts her down. So mostly I can only do this work when I'm working with both parties. I've got to have both couple parties in the room. And then, even then, and it's usually the man, he just doesn't want to go there. He cannot be vulnerable. His armoring against years, decades of pain is completely overwhelming and it's terrifying for him. And he can't do the work. Mark, we've got a comment that's come in now from a listener that says, you don't do empathy, you are empathetic or become empathetic. What do you have to say to that? Well, it, I'm not sure what they mean by do, but I, I would disagree because IPA says you feel empathy which is you imagine what the other person's feeling, they feel sad. You then resonate with sadness in your system for them. And then you need to do empathy, which is, wow, that sounds awful. That sounds tough. You're so scared of the dentist, my sweetie. I know, I can see how scared you are. 
that I'm not sure what this person's saying, but that's doing empathy. And then the yeah. kid says, yes, mommy, I don't want to go. Yeah, I know you don't want to go. And often I feel like that too. I get scared just like you. And then I do a thing. I'll do a process. I'll share with you now. I've had many clients. I've done this with their dude with their kids. Sweetie, where do you feel the scared feeling with a dentist? I feel it in my tummy, mommy. Okay. I want you to just feel that awful scared feeling in your tummy. You make space. Keep quiet. Make space. Okay. Can I, can I hug you now? Okay. I want you to feel me hugging you. And can you feel my love inside you and the scared feeling in your tummy? Yes, mommy, I can. Keep quiet. Wait 20, 30 seconds. Make space for the pain and the love. And then say, can you feel my love melting away your pain? And kids, you know, up to the age of 10, 11, 12, depending on the kid, will do this in a minute or two. And then what you do is mom's cooking and the kid says, mommy, I'm scared of this exam. Okay, we've done this melting exercise before. Can you feel the pain inside? And can you feel me loving you? And then they do the process at a distance. And then you teach them to do it when they go to school. So now they're scared of the math teacher. Feel the fear. Feel the pain. Make space for it, for the vulnerability. Feel mom's love. You can imagine mom loving you and hugging you and melting away the fear and the pain. So this is slowing it down, making space for the pain. And then you can be happy. But the, the worry and the pain need space. This is a very interesting concept. We are talking to Mark Khan. We are talking about intimate relationships. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's 34519 or the telegram number is 061-895-1019. We're going to go for a bit of a short break and we'll be back shortly. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're talking to Mark Kahn, a clinical psychologist. We're talking intimate relationships. We're talking about being vulnerable. Mark, you know, I think that everybody meets, if, if one has a want for vulnerability and to be understood, one does meet, you know, people in their lives, intimate and not, that, that are shut down, that are, are, not, are not willing to go there. What resources can a person who has that vulnerability and who, who, who needs to share it, what resources can one build within oneself to allow oneself the space even to express their vulnerability, knowing that it's going to be rebuffed. You know, it's like really, really hard. As, as you said, like the kid says a few times, mommy, I'm scared. And then eventually the, the child learns a corrective behavior that I'm not going to tell mommy I'm scared anymore because like mommy is not like recognizing it. And they either become whatever, fearful or they, 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 they shut down or they go into misbehavior. So obviously, from a from a little kid perspective, it's hard. But how, how, what does an adult do when they want to share the vulnerability and it doesn't land on the other person? Okay, so if you, are you asking that specifically in relation to a marriage? So let's say the wife wants to be vulnerable with the husband. That I'm asking that the the, the, the parent wants to be vulnerable with the child, the the, the okay. daughter wants to be vulnerable. But I'm talking in an adult relationship where the daughter wants to be vulnerable with the mother 
or whatever it is where you've got a very difficult intimate relationship and you want to express okay. but you know you kind of like you yourself become more and more wounded the more you want to be vulnerable because the yes. person is just like yeah. throwing that arrow back at you harder and harder so what you're describing really well is how difficult this is so I work with kids and adults and you know what's interesting is I refuse now to work with kids and adults without seeing the parents first and if necessary having therapy with the parents because 50 to 100% of kids problems are because of the parents it's exactly what I was discussing so, last night I was saying about my child going to play therapy and I called the play therapist and said can I please come to you instead of bringing my child and she said she wishes parents would do that more yep and I'm now refusing to do it any other way so let me give you two examples that hopefully will answer your question, Adel. I saw one kid. His mother admitted to me that she's been much too pushy with the kid. She's trying, he's 10 years old. She's trying to teach him everything all the time. The TV at the home. At the, she's pushing and pushing and driving results and performance. The kid is anxious. I have a meeting with her and her husband. She decides she's going to go home and apologize to her son for pushing him so hard and focusing on results. And she, say, she says to him, and I want to just be with you and love you more. And the, the, I then see the son the next week. And you know, the son says to me, I said to him, did your mom apologize to you about being so pushy? He said, yes, I do. She did. And I said, and what was your response? She said, no, I forgave her in this beautiful, innocent way. I have another kid who's 14, suicidal, depressed. The mother made the same admission to me. I saw the parents together. The mother apologized to this child for being so pushy and so difficult. And you know what the child said to me in the next session, the 14-year-old? She said, it's too late. I can't forgive her. And she, she was impenetrable. I tried everything I could to get past this barrier of non-forgiveness. So for now, that child is lost. I cannot help her. So it depends on the extent of the wounding and, and the personality style and type. If sometimes the wounding is irreparable. And there are so many men out there who have been so wounded. And you know the way, the way the men that men talk to each other and boys and the bullying and the abuse, you know, you fatty, you pathetic, you useless, you trip over your feet, this kind of thing. It just walls and armors men up against all their vulnerability. And just what, maybe one more example. I worked with a couple. She's a stay-at-home mom with three kids. He comes home, he's with a big accounting firm, he's stressed out of his head. His only way of dealing with the stress is to have a whiskey in the garden. She's trying to get him emotionally connected. And so she doesn't say, you know, when you sit in the garden with your whiskey, I feel abandoned and isolated. That would be a more skillful and loving expression of needs. Instead, you just never talk to me. You don't tell me how you feel. I don't need to talk to you about the kids blaming and attacking. He's completely shut down emotionally and armored and disconnected. And then they keep having this fight up here. And there's no love and intimacy and vulnerability and connection below it.
So what happens to such a woman who, want, who is vulnerable, who wants to express herself and she is being stonewalled? What, what resources does one, uh, does a person like that have? Like, well, what should that woman the, do? Let's assume the husband can't do the work, doesn't want to try, doesn't want to do the work. I would say to her, you need to give him as much space as possible and to start giving him what he does need. So when he comes home, have the whiskey ready for him and give it to him and say, your chair's under the tree outside. I'll see you when you're ready later. So to stop pulling and demanding on, of him. I, my definition of love, I'd like to share with you. Love is not trying to control your partner. Love is not trying to control your partner. So can you see in the whiskey example with the husband and so on, instead of I'm lonely and I'm desperate to talk to you, give him the whiskey, give him space, let him recover and then let him move towards you and very slowly begin to express your needs in a non-blaming, non-critical way, in a more, in a softer way. Now that can take a lot of work. And often the man will not respond because he doesn't want to. He wants a woman there, but he doesn't want intimacy. You know, 4% of marriages work. 4%. I'm quoting Virginia Satir, a world-famous family therapist from the 60s. I'm quoting Imago Therapy. It's a very famous couples therapy technique. And my own experience personally and professionally agrees with it. 4%. 96% of people have too much wounding and don't have the skills. None of us have the skills. Most of us have to learn how to do this. I had to learn how to do this. I couldn't do this coming from my parents with a fish and all of this stuff. My father used to threaten to call the police and the headmaster. <laughs> I was a terrified little kid who had no clue how to do any of this. I had to learn. And I'm, I'm doing better. But it's I think in general, there's it's just a very, very fine line, you know, to also allow the person that space almost sometimes it could, you think that you'd ne they would never get out of that space. I'm sorry, what, are you asking? So, so, yes, yeah, so I'm, so I'm saying, for example, let's say um, uh, a husband doesn't help ever during supper time, bath time, bedtime, yeah. just an, yeah. an example. Right. And then you allow them that space to not have to do that. And instead of the blame and the shouting and the screaming, yes. you allow them to do what they usually do. But at what point do they then start warming up and coming to do what you, what, what you need them to do? Well, what you want to do is wait for a moment when they're very relaxed and say, you know, sweetie, I haven't been asking you to help out with all the stuff in the house and the kids and so on. And, and I'm wondering, would you be open to doing it just a little bit? It would so be so So now that you bring up that point, I think that's a very crucial point. Yes. That a lot of the time we come and attack in a moment when it doesn't help at all. Yes. So the attacking exactly. is going to get you nowhere. Whereas yes. if you actually take a step back, understand what's going on and say to yourself, I'm going to bring it up at a time where they're actually going to listen. Bring it up at the right time and in a loving way. In other words, we need to get out of this pattern of you never help out around here to 
it would be so lovely if you could help a little bit with some of the things with the kids. Would you be well, open I, to- I really do enjoy your company in those moments, whatever. Yeah, beautiful. That's it. So it's supporting and loving, which means your need is more likely to be well-received. More likely, if you're dealing with a five-star patriarch, forget it. <laughs> I, I'd say just bite down and survive it or leave. <laughs> no okay, we, need to, we need to go for a break. Um, I've got a, a listener that says people nowadays use love to enslave the partner somehow. Let's ponder that and uh, we'll just unpack it very quickly in the few minutes we have left. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. So we don't have too much left. We have a couple of minutes. You gave a definition of love in the negative. Love is not about controlling your partner. So I'm going yes. to challenge you, Mark. Give us a positive. Yes. Love is? Allowing your partner to be who they are. Can I give you an example of this, of not yes. doing it? So the wife has headaches. The husband says, you know, your headaches are getting worse. You get migraines. You must go and see a neurologist. Yeah, yeah. You must go and see him next week. And go and see a neurologist next month. And go and see a neurologist. Saturday night comes monumental migraine headache. I told you, you've got to see a neurologist. That's not love. That's trying to control them. What would love be? Sweetie, do you want four panado? And we think it's because I care. Well, listen to my voice. Is there caring? And because I care? No, there's anxiety and control and the absence of love. So maybe if I can flip it around to conclude this fascinating discussion is that one needs to understand that the only person you can control is yourself and the only person you can change is yourself. And when you change yourself, then, you know, you're able to look at the world in a different way. Well, yes. And even that is limited because if I can have one last comment on what marriage is, I'll, I'll define it and give you another definition of marriage. Marriage is a war of wanting. I like that. I want you to do this. I don't want you to do I want and I want this. I want that. I want the TV on. I want the TV off. I want this program. I want that. Program. I want the kids to bed. I don't want. I want the kids to eat this. I want the kids to go to the. No, I don't want that. It's a war of wanting. And Oscar Wilde said there are two problems in life, not getting what you want and getting what you want. <laughs> and I, I love that. And he's right, which means wanting is the problem. So on an intrapsychic level, if you really want to do the work, you have to let go of wanting, which, which gets into higher levels of psychological and spiritual evolution. But pro the problem is people pretend to not want stuff and they're lying to themselves. They're pretending they don't have needs when they do. And that's why this is so difficult. Well, I think we're going to have to make an, another show about wanting. So, so we're going to get you on there. Unfortunately, time has, has run out and it's, as, as, as always, we get involved in such a, like, like engaging conversation that before you look at it, boom, um, it's the top of the hour. So I want to thank you, Mark, again for your incredible insight. We're definitely going to bring you back again, maybe to discuss about a person's wants, a person's needs, and how to yeah. actually express them um, in the world. Thank you, Fagy. Um, thank you so much. It's been absolutely great. And we're wishing all our listeners out there a wonderful week ahead. We'll be back, same time, same place. Next week, this is 101.9 High FM.